Welcome to the Roz Project, the place where you learn how to thrive and grow in every aspect of life, family, entrepreneurship, personal development, tech, and marketing using real, raw, and 100% no bullshit proven tactics. My name is Ivan Tomokoff, and I'm your host. And ladies and gentlemen, today I am joined by a very special guest by the name of RF Harbutt. How's it going, man? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, before we dive into our convo and chat a little bit more about RF and what he's done and what he's currently doing, I want to share with you guys a little bit about him. So he is a modern CTO, angel investor and technology disruptor, expert at combining strategy with cutting edge technology to deliver impact at speed for uh, the modern business world. So uh, let's talk a little bit about before we get into the modern time stuff and mm-hmm. technology and disruption, which I'm a huge fan of, you know, uh, hearing other people's perspective and what other people like you are doing from a disruption standpoint. Let's let's take away back, though. Let's talk about your story a little bit. You know, tell us a little about your back background, your upbringing and, and, and how did you get into what you're doing today? Yeah, sure. Happy to. I was. Born and raised in, in London, England. I have a, a mixed race family. So my mum is African Indian and my dad is from London. So my mum is very dark and my dad is very white. So in the, when they kind of got together in the early 70s, that, that was quite different. And it caused some issues on both sides of the family. But what it meant was that I grew up in a, a very multicultural household in a part of London that had a lot of different ethnic diversity groups a lot of different people from different backgrounds in different countries. So I grew up with diversity being normal, uh, both different cultures, different countries, different colors, different genders, different sexualities. So I grew up, and for me, this is completely normal. Uh, so I know yeah. it's become a big thing recently, but for me growing up, it was just, well, everyone was like that, right? Everyone was different colors and things. Yeah. So that, that, that shaped a lot about me. So I'm very open. I'm very curious. I'm very tolerant uh, of people and religions and people's opinions doesn't say I agree with them all but but I'm very tolerant of them because I was shaped by quite a lot of different viewpoints growing up that being said um, my mum is uh, African Indian and it was very much education education when I was growing up which was fantastic I really liked school and I think the path for me was classic doctor dentist lawyer accountant Um, but that's not what my passion was my passion was playing tennis so about four years of age, I started playing tennis and just absolutely fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a free lesson. My mom saw it in the newspaper. She's like, right, you're going to go to this free lesson. And I did it and I kept winning more and more free lessons. And so she kept saying, well, you're going to play tennis. And luckily I, I did actually love it. Um, but difficult conversation when I was about to go to university, I decided to not go to university and become a professional tennis player. So that was quite a big moment in my life mm-hmm. where I broke away from the family and, and started to do my own thing and my own passion. Yeah, very interesting. So what was that like? I mean, you you, you had this uh, utter passion for becoming a professional tennis player. And I'm pretty sure because I can kind of relate to it, you know, being an Eastern European is like, you know, your mom, your, 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 your family had different goals for you. So how did that feel? You know, here you are on this path of I'm going to become a professional <laughs> tennis player. And that is all I'm going to do. And, and, and yeah. mom and dad are like, no, dude, you're going to go to college, you know, you're going to get an education. So like, and you talked about diversity. I'm curious to hear, you know, what was going through your mind? What were some of the experiences when like 
well, you were trying to make those decisions, right? Do I play tennis? Do I go pro tennis? Or do I go to school? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, pardon me, I was young and I was <laughs> stupid. Uh, in hindsight, I probably should listen to mom and dad. But I think I wanted to follow my passion. I wanted to yeah. follow what I was interested in. I wanted to follow what I was good at. And I strongly believed that is what I wanted to do. And I think I'm quite headstrong. Uh, and I'm quite stubborn and determined in, in what I want to do. Sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's really bad. Uh, looking back, would I have done it differently? No. Should I have listened to mum and dad? Yeah, probably. Uh, and later I did go back and do an MBA and do my studies. But sure. for that period of my life, it, it was very, it was good for me, right? I was independent. I'm traveling the world. I'm doing things by myself. I'm living by myself. I'm surviving. I got into some scraps, um, both with the military, the law with yeah. Hungarian mafia. I mean, all sorts of things happened to me when I was kind of traveling the world for a couple of years. Okay. So it taught me a lot. It taught me that I have a lot of capacity beyond what I thought I was capable of. And I think when I was kind of 18, 19, it gave me that sense that, you know what, I can do anything. Um, maybe yeah. I don't get there, but I can at least have a shot and I can give it a go. So it really shaped me and it shaped the rest of my career in a sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. You said something that I'm a huge fan of. You said um, you realized how much more capable you were as you were going through like these diverse experiences. You said Hungarian mafia, I believe, and like the law and stuff like that. And let's face it, when we're young, I mean, we're, we're so restless, you know, we just don't know any better. And I think one of the most challenging things, you know, when we're young is just that we, ha we struggle with believing in ourselves mm. but because we, we question everything we do. We question it, I think, largely is because the people we're surrounded with, right? So if you're surrounded with people who play things comfortably, right, so close to the chest, it's like, I'm not a risk taker. I'm not, I'm not going to sacrifice. You know, I'm okay with living in my own domain. Chances are you're going to follow in those footsteps, mm -hmm. right? So when you branch out, right, I think that's why you, you had these vast experiences of, you know, traveling the law and then you wanted to become a professional tennis player, learn how to survive on your own as well, which, which let's face it, when you're out on your own and you truly have nothing to rely on is like, I, I think it's like that the true hunter spirit really comes out and you really identify with like, nobody's coming to save you. Mm. Like, like it's you versus you. It's you make good choices, you reap the rewards. You make bad choices, you suffer the consequences. And I think that's what most people don't realize, you know, especially when you're young, is just because you're so restless, almost kind of careless. I mean, you're living on the edge or you're, you're playing it very comfortable. I mean, I know me growing up was like the yellow brick road, you know, similar to you is like, just follow the yellow brick road. You don't veer away from that because that's what you're supposed to do. And you know, I, I would have been the first one in my family to graduate college. Mind you how huge of a disappointment that was to the rest of my family <laughs> saying, nah, like I'm, I'm going to go the entrepreneurial route. Like I've got different goals and dreams. So, okay. As you're going through these, you know, experiences and, 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 and obviously trying out different things, you know, at what point, you know, what the tennis takes sort of a back burner. Yeah, it was about two years into my pro career. So I was about 20 years of age. Uh, mm -hmm. A friend of mine uh, who was on tour with me, he got injured and he started messing around the internet. Uh, he was very mathematically minded and he knew some coding. Uh, mm -hmm. And I sat down with him one day and he showed me the internet and showed me how to code and how computers work and how the cloud works. And I just, it was like mind blowing for me. It was absolutely, <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I want to go down this rabbit hole. Uh, and I just completely, almost overnight, 
flipped my passion towards technology. And thankfully that's been the case ever since. I went into coding, engineering, architecture, uh, and then kind of married that with my love of business and finance. And that's what I've just kind of spent my entire life career. All my jobs have been in that space. I just love finding that intersection of modern technology, things that are really going to yeah. make a difference to your business, but really make a difference. Not, hey, oh, let's just use some new tech. Like, yeah. how is it actually going to improve your business? How's it going to improve your customer experience? How are you going to save costs? How are you going to increase top line revenue? How are you going to really help your suppliers or fulfillment or whatever it might be? And that's what I really get excited about. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting because uh, I can relate to that a little bit. You said that you you had this a strong passion for business and finance, but then when you like kind of discovered sort of the internet, we're like, whoa, shit, this is going to change the world. And then, Unbelievable. Yeah. you know, you started realizing in what capacities, because I remember to that 14 year old kid myself, you know, that I really saw that. So, but I think that takes a certain mindset, right? Is this that to really see the internet more than just the internet, you know, more mm -hmm. than just like a cruising space that you get on social media and you fuck around and this and that. No, this is, this has a purpose. This will train change transactionally the way we interact with as human beings. When we've seen companies like Amazon rise and build on the internet, which were you know, one of the first back in, I guess, 97, 96, yeah, you know, when they really that. started to, to, to kind of, you know, dom well, not dominate, but like, like, whoa, this Internet thing is going to be huge. We got to get into it now. And mind you, you know, the Internet was already up and running for several years, you know, at that point. So as you're discovering, like, you know, this eye opening experience and you're like, whoa, the Internet, what happened next? So you're like absorbing education. What happened from that point on? Well, I think I think you mentioned something earlier. I think when you're out by yourself in the world, it is almost like being a startup. You, you're like mm -hmm. you're running your own ship. As a, as a tennis player, I was managing my own finances. I was running your own marketing. I was managing my own operations and schedule. So for me, it felt like a very natural shift to go into startups. So I was coding. I joined a couple of startups. I learned from some incredible business people. Um, but I was just having fun. I was just learning, growing, developing my skills. I love learning. I'm very curious. Mm -hmm. So the fact that I was exploring, I mean, this was 1999. So this is before all the kind of established technologies were around. I mean, yeah. people didn't really know how to build websites or build transactional sites or people SEO and marketing wasn't really around then. I mean, yeah. people kind of knew a bit. They threw money above the line campaigns, but they didn't really understand the mechanics. So we were discovering as a community. I mean, thousands of people around the world were shaping these technologies. And I was part of some mm -hmm. of those open source groups and communities. And it, and it really felt like we were changing the world. It felt like a paradigm shift in business and culture and technology. Um, and looking back, I realized how lucky I was to be part of that. I mean, it's once in a generation type experience to be part of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very thankful. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And I agree with you completely. I think it was more than just, you know, a shift in technology. I think it was a shift in culture, really, mm -hmm. because, I mean, nowadays you got people who are getting popular on TikTok and Instagram, you know, and that, that's what they make their living on. And I mean, if you look back to like 1999, who would have thought that people would make a living on the Internet? Right. You know, from a, just, you know, shooting funny videos or whatnot, you know, and nowadays that, that's like the norm. And I feel like the Internet has just gained momentum, honestly. I mean, I think there's so much more 
that's going to happen, you know, with AI specifically and, and, and machine learning and things of that nature. And, you know, other platforms that are probably going to come about that's going to really allow consumers, I think, specifically and brands, you know, to be more expressive, you know, and that's, that's something I'm a huge fan of is that, you know, looking at the internet is like, I think a lot of people just look at it from more of a transactional standpoint nowadays, rather than no, this is this is about creativity and expression. You know, you can leverage this in so many different ways. And I think that's the beauty of it is that it's an open ending opportunity. You know, it's never ending opportunity. So as you are learning, you know, all these skills and technology and and, and being curious and explorational, you know, how did you get into because like, you know, nowadays you're more into, um, you know, uh, innovation and disruption, transformation. You know, you also focus on, you know, angel investing uh, also, and you're a CTO. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, the modern day RF and, and what you're doing, how you're helping companies and consumers and, you know, how are you promoting yourself ultimately on the internet? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, as I mentioned, my first kind of foray out of tennis was in the world of startups and then I founded some of my own companies I worked with other companies and I was lucky enough to have an exit small exit from one of the companies that I founded mm -hmm. I was about 29 years old had a little bit of a midlife crisis at 29 going I don't want to do in my life now uh, had this tennis career which is amazing I had this startup career which is amazing yeah. what do I do with my life um, so I did uh, eventually could hear my mom saying oh I'm gonna study so I went and did an MBA learned a whole load of things, a whole load of new skills, learned about marketing, operations, finance. This whole world opened up to me because I was very much a tech guy. I'm a bit, I'm kind of yeah. obsessive personality. I was obsessed with tennis, and then I was obsessed yeah. with technology. This really broadened my horizons and it introduced me to larger enterprises. So I'd only ever worked in small companies. Now with an MBA, I could go and talk to 100, 200, 300,000 pound, 1,000 person companies, global companies, FTSE 100 companies, Fortune 100 companies, these really big entities suddenly mm -hmm. because you had this piece of paper meant you were qualified to go and talk to them. So after my MBA, the main focus of my career is how can you use technology to innovate and disrupt your business before someone else does, but only in a way that creates measurable value. I'm not one of these people that just says, hey, use blockchain, although I do love blockchain, but why yeah. would you Technology. You mentioned some AI and ML. Why would you use that? Why would you get on board with things like robotic process automation? What are you going to do when quantum comes around? How are you right. going to leverage technology to make sure that your business perpetuates for 100 years? I'm very much into legacy and perpetuation for these businesses. Because if not, we've seen firsthand how business can literally overnight can yeah. disappear. Because the internet is a very good democratizer. Anyone can start a business. Anyone can promote their brand with very, very little money uh, and they can really control everything. And you don't need millions and millions and millions of pounds now to go and compete with some of these very big companies. So that's the brilliant thing about the internet, but also it's a very big threat for organizations that don't understand how to innovate, don't understand how to be progressive. Right. Literally sat in this stale culture for 30 years and suddenly they're going, what do I do? And they just don't have that muscle to be able to disrupt themselves, to innovate, to transform, to look at new business models to leverage new technology, to ultimately better their customers' lives. I mean, that's all the customers want. Why do you yeah. switch from an old brand to a new brand? It's because they can do something better, cooler, faster, cheaper, whatever it might be. And they're not using that kind of skill set um, the way that some of the younger, more dynamic companies are. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, 
you know, one of the things that one of the words that came to mind was was pivoting, because I think with the pandemic, you know, that hit last year, you know, I think it was a huge challenge, but it was also a huge opportunity for a lot of companies, because as you were saying that, you know, these 200, 300,000, you know, empires, 200,000, 300,000 employee enterprises, you know, thus far have been dominating, you know, their industries or their niches. Right. And now you've got, you know, a small mom and pop that comes in and says, I'm going to leverage the Internet, you know, more creatively in a more expressive type of fashion. I'm going to compete with you. And that's a threat. You know, that was a threat. And so um, you're absolutely right. I think a lot of big companies uh, and I think even in the retail space, at least in the United States, has suffered, you know, tremendously over the last several years. I think a lot of it is because of what you said is just that they failed to acknowledge, they failed to adapt to new ways and, and disrupt in the way that they engage with customers, right? Because nowadays, most people want to sit on the couch and hit a button on their phone and order shit, whether it's grocery or, or food or clothing or products, you know, any kind of consumer goods, right? So how does it a traditional brick and mortar, right? Compete in that sense. How do they make it more competitive? How do, how do they make it more worthwhile? You know, I'm thinking of like malls in the United States that have shut down left and right. It's like, you know, maybe because I'm a, more of an upper end millennial, it's like experience or accessibility. Experience is good, but accessibility is right up there, too, because it's like, why would I want to go to a clothing store when I can probably buy it online? Like, what's 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 the enticing proposition? Right. Is it just to go there? Well, it costs me time. It costs me money to go there. Right. But I acknowledge that. And so companies don't necessarily see it that way. Right. It's like they don't understand that it's a lot more of a hassle for the modern consumer the way to engage them rather than to give them access. And that's where Amazon, I think, posted their highest earnings in 2020 is because the pandemic created a massive opportunity for them, a massive opportunity. And they acknowledged it right off the bat how to harness that. So let's talk a little bit about disruption and innovation specifically, maybe maybe certain industries or verticals that you've worked with or currently working with. Let's talk about how you're applying disruption, innovation and technology, you know, to help these companies grow and thrive. Yeah, I mean, let's let's pick one that's very topical. I think healthcare is one that obviously mm-hmm. during the pandemic has had to massively adapt. And if you yeah. think about most healthcare systems, it's predicated on a physical building, a hospital, uh, a care center, a doctor's surgery, whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. And then people inside that building who diagnose you, triage you, and then ultimately make a determination of what to do with your symptoms or your, your injury or whatever it might be. Now, I don't think that's the best way to do it, especially in a world where you've got huge amounts of demand coming into your hospital or your, your care center and, and not enough uh, supply. So I think a lot of innovations are happening in the healthcare space. I mean, we'll talk about some obvious ones like triaging over video conferencing. That's a no-brainer, right? We could have done yeah. that 50 years ago. Why didn't we? So you could do that. Um, you can have things like um, AI help with determination from MRI or e- X-ray results. A machine is very good at coming up with a at least a pattern because obviously as a doctor, um, you're looking at an unlimited amount of of, of kind of diseases or yeah. symptoms 
and a machine can say, hey, I think it's probably these two or three. I don't really know, but of the infinite opportunities, here are the two or three that I think you should focus on. Or it can find patterns that a human being perhaps can't see because it's it's not encumbered by our kind of our emotional thinking or, or the patterns that we fall into. I, I believe that there's a whole load of innovation in this space in terms of nanotechnology one day going inside the body. That's a little bit further down the line, but how do you, if you're a kid, if you run a hospital, how do you start thinking yeah. about what's the right time to double down on nanotechnology inside the body? How can we wear sensors that constantly take our blood pressure or maybe a blood sample or maybe a hormone sample and then flag whether we need to do more exercise, less exercise, have more rest, whether I'm having a, some kind of seizure or heart attack and then immediately alert people. All of these kind of services, I think that what the internet and the digital yeah. world and technology do, it creates this ecosystem of services that fit around industries. You mentioned retail. There's a whole system of yeah. services that sit around retail now. I think all of these things will happen in healthcare, in automotive, in industrials, in all of these industries that are typically more physical based. Services will start sitting around them. And slowly by slowly, you'll start taking revenue or you're taking customers from the entity that was the big dominant factor. Yeah. Because slice by slice, someone's doing one part of your business 30, 40, 50% better. And so the customer is starting to disaggregate their wallet across multiple providers because they're getting exponentially better services or exponentially better products. And that's the trick. Do you build those yourself if you're the incumbent, if you're the person with the monopoly, or right. do you buy them? At what point do you make that determination whether you should jump? It's too early in a technology, it's too late. That is the skill. It's, that is the real magic in disruption. It's not disruption for disruption's sake. It's only at a point where it's actually going to add measurable value to your business. Just, I mean, you yeah. can have a lab function that just experiments, yes, but that should be a very small percentage of your kind of portfolio. Yeah. That's, that's the magic, really. Yeah, you know, you brought up so many good points. And speaking of the healthcare industry, and, and let me see, I actually want to recap a couple of them because you mentioned so many good things. So I think when it comes to disruption and innovation in the healthcare space, at least in the United States, I think there's a lot of opposition and there's a lot of regulatory because uh, like you said, you know, like nowadays it's normal to do a traditional checkup via Zoom. You know, in fact, I think Microsoft Teams is something that a lot of hospitals have embraced or, or medical offices as a yeah. standard, you know, yeah. which which they still charge premiums for. And it's like, wait, I spent 15 minutes to see this fucking doctor. And I'm going to charge my insurance $250. What the fuck? You know, that's a different conversation. But I think there was a lot of regulatory and you know, HIPAA compliance bullshit, you know, that were slapping 10 years ago. And I can tell insurance companies made a shitload of money over that, forcing people going to an office because there was that opposition, right? Because they knew that if we allowed remote to do some of these things that we're traditionally doing, then it's going to cut jobs, right? It's going to cut jobs. And they were struggling to figure out how do we supplement these jobs? How do we create new jobs? especially in the healthcare space, right? So I think healthcare is a great example, but I think a lot of it is also, there's a lot of opposition from a human standpoint, because I think in the healthcare space, there's so much of like, well, it has to be human touch, everything, you know, has to be experiential. It has to be in person. It's like, no, it, ha it doesn't have to be. Some things can be automated, you know, AI, like you say, can be a part of it. 
You know, it's, it's a companion. It's not a supplement. I think the healthcare space specifically look at it. It's like, it's a replacement for jobs, for doctors, for nurses. It's like, no, it's a companion. It's, it's going to help you do more and cover more. I think that's it. It's like that fear factor, that scarcity mindset in the healthcare space that, oh, no, it's going to take away jobs or no, insurance companies are going to suffer as opposed to looking at it from a proactive standpoint. How is this going to help, you know, the patient? Mm. Uh, looking at it that way, how is this going to help the, the patient? How is it going to make it more accessible? If you ask me, I mean, I got two kids. If Unless I have to go in to like the, the pediatrician for my kids, you know, for like shots or something. Why else do I need to go in person? Like, give me one reason why I need to go in there. Why couldn't we conduct the visit via Zoom? Why? Because of HIPAA? Like, that's what's so mind boggling is this. And I think in part, it's it's very political in part because I think the healthcare space is a huge moneymaker. I think 20 percent of I think it was upwards 20 percent of the U.S. economy is, is medical. It's healthcare. It's wow. huge. It's a huge number to think about is when you disrupt that. Right. It's kind of like what Elon Musk did with Tesla. Right. It's like 15 years ago shit back in 1915 1920 there were electric cars that would go 40 miles but what did they say the oil company's like nah we, we need to put a lid on this this is going to put us out of business you know we need to keep making combustion engines what happened 15 years ago 20 years ago Elon Musk's like electric cars that's it and literally we're at a point to where he could hit that hot red button and put a stop on the entire automotive industry worldwide because he dominates it so it's, you know, I think disruption and innovation, not just in healthcare, but in automotive, in retail is so essential. It's so essential that companies need to figure out how to embrace it, how to be more experiential, you know, how to be more daring, you know, how to try new things. I mean, like talking about social media, it's like, I think it wasn't up until a couple of years ago that most companies were like, Shit, we need to be on TikTok and we need to be on Instagram. We need to be everywhere because the modern consumer is multi-touch point. They just are. You can't say, I'm going to target them on Google or on Facebook only. That's just not going to work. You, you got you to cast a much wider net and be even more personable the way you reach these consumers, right? So healthcare is a really great example that you brought up. And there's so much to say about it. You know, and I think there's so much that healthcare will evolve, you know, in the next five and 10 years. I mean, 10 years from now is like, you know, your regular doctor visit is going to be done via your smartphone. Why couldn't we do that 10 years ago? Right. Like what's, yeah, what's mean, the hold up there? Yeah. I mean, even, even more so. I mean, I, I, I think you raised a really good point. It's a, it's a companion. I see technology very much as the relationship between Iron Man, Tony Stark and Jarvis. You have the human <laughs> being. Right. Who's the judgment call based on the infinite computing power of Jarvis. Jarvis is going, here's all the human, here's all the possibilities. And then the human makes the judgment call. So I think maybe yeah. the doctor of the future to triage, you're not even talking to a person, a machine or a hologram or a, some kind of interface is giving you a triage going, you know what? I've looked at your symptoms. I've maybe taken some of your readouts. You're fine. It's fine. Go, go buy some painkillers from the pharmacy. Um, but then yeah. that, that says, well, you know what? Something here I don't understand. Something's a bit skewed with. I'm going to send that to a real person because I'm not comfortable making the determination. And that not only is a great customer experience because I'm probably going to get 
uh, an appointment in seconds or minutes because I'm not dealing with, yeah. a human, uh, with a human being. But also I get much faster care, much better diagnosis. The human being yeah. then gets a whole set of data before you've even met them. So I think right. that is the power. It, it's finding out how you make better businesses, better customer experiences. And you mentioned Elon Musk. And the only reason this is top of mind is because I had a problem with my car recently. Yeah. I bought um, a relatively new um, Audi. And they sent me a letter, a letter, not an email, not a text message, a letter, physical piece of paper in the post to say, hey, there's something wrong with your car. Um, this manufacturing batch needs to go back to the dealership, uh, needs to have this thing changed. Then I quite understand car, something happened. So I had to yeah. take it to a dealership. They sent me this piece of paper. I had to take it to a dealership, get a taxi home. They rang me up and then I taxi back. And it was a horrible experience. With Tesla and Elon Musk, if there's a problem with the car, they remote send out a patch. So I know there yeah. was a, the, the, famous, the famous quote where the cars were rubbing, they were too low. So they sent out a patch to all Tesla cars overnight just to raise by like quarter inch off the ground. And all yeah. of this got applied overnight. The owners almost didn't even know it happened, right? Imagine that compared to me spending an entire day away from work, two taxi rides to get my, my car fixed. I'm, I'm an Audi fan. Different. I'm an Audi fan. Well, I'm an Audi driver too. I've owned that. one for... <laughs> And, and, and it's so interesting you say that, but you're absolutely right. It's like recalls. I get a fucking letter in the mail. It's like you do realize it's 2021 and this shit could have ended up into trash. Most yeah. likely. Oh, yeah. but email is not trusted or a text message is not trusted. I'm like, you're, you're, you're talking about what, what Audi's slogan is truth and engineering, which I've been a huge fan of for probably the last 10 plus years. Right. I'm like, Define truth in engineering. You're sending me a letter to notify me of a fucking recall. And here's Tesla that sends a freaking update overnight. Like you said, like get with the times, seriously, get with the times. And that's why, like, even when I take my car to dealership, I actually just bought a rooftop box recently. Oh my God. That experience in itself was like, I mean, the guys didn't know what they were doing in the parts in the parts store. I'm asking service questions that they can't answer. I'm like, this is Audi. Like, come on, guys. And your communication is even worse. Like, I think my Audi dealership didn't even start to use SMS for communication until a year ago. A year ago. Like you would go into the service. Granted, it, and it was I think it was five years ago when I actually started giving out loaner cars for like Let's say you're taking your vehicle for oil change or something that might take a couple of hours, right? So you don't want to sit in the waiting room. You know, you want to go about your business, right? Because you got shit to do. You know, most Audi owners are, are, are busy. Business owners, entrepreneurs, they're on the move. Kids, family, whatever, right? So they started giving that and they realized, oh, shit. By giving a loaner, and a newer loaner, now we're actually opening up the opportunity for them to test drive newer models. We're actually marketing to these people. By giving them a loaner vehicle. Sure. Are you taking a risk on some dumbass to, you know, taking off with a loaner? It has happened multiple times, but how often does that happen? It's an anomaly. And it's the same with technology and disruption. It's like, think of the greater benefit that you would accomplish out of this. And honestly, I'm so excited that we're getting into this discussion, man. Cause you know, when I was 14 years old, this was 1994. I was very much like, he was like, you know, dial up internet and Windows 3.11. I was like, this is the greatest fucking thing since sliced bread. Most people are like, you're fucking crazy. This 14 year old. 
I spent most of high school literally maxing out AOL CD-ROMs on dial-up internet and getting on AOL chat with a buddy of mine. That's all we did after school, literally. Right. And most people thought I was, we were fucking insane. And now, like, like it's so mind-boggling that, oh, my God, if I would have taken all these crazy ideas, I'd probably be a billionaire by now. And that's just it. I think that in the world of technology and disruption and innovation, most people are going to think you're fucking crazy <laughs> because they look at you and like, I agree, Jarvis and Iron Man, which I'm a huge fan of, huge fan of Iron Man. Uh, in fact, I got a thing on my story on Instagram that I look at, I recorded probably six months ago. It's like, I am Iron Man building like that motivation. Yes. Exactly. I, I see you have Star Wars too. And my son is a huge Star Wars fan too. In fact, we got so many fucking Star Wars Legos and a whole shelf of it that are up on there. But you know what? That is the future. You know, that is like Iron Man and, and Jarvis are the future. But you were talking about how the hologram, you mentioned something really interesting I wanted to bring up that I think humans are so afraid of. Humans are afraid of becoming robots. Because like you said, in the healthcare spaces, what if something was injected like a chip inside of you? People are like, no, 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 no. You're not going to put a chip inside of me, right? Because then you're going to control me. It's like, no. If you got blood pressure problems, put a fucking chip inside of you. You will never have to worry about it because it will monitor automatically. But that's disruption. That's technology, right? So I, I, just in a couple minutes, I want to hear your thoughts on that is how are humans going to overcome the fear, the scarcity mindset around disruption and technological evolution? I mean, honestly, I, 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 I don't know. I think if we've proven anything over the last, let's say 10 years, mm -hmm. pace of adoption of new technology is faster than ever before. If you think about how long it took everyone to have a radio, then a TV, then a car, we're talking decades, right? Yeah. And then you're looking at how fast did it get for everyone to have an iPod? And you're probably talking, I don't know, five, six, seven years. How long did it take to get a smartphone even faster? Every incremental piece of technology these days is getting faster and faster because I think it's a couple of reasons. I think partly we're better well-informed. Like we were able to talk to people very quickly. Like I see adverts, I see my TikTok people, Instagram people, they've all got this thing and I see it very quickly. I'm like, oh, I want one of those. It sounds cool. Yeah. That's the first thing. I think... The second thing is that the technology is obviously coming down much faster in price. So yeah. I know when my mum and dad first got their TV in their car, it was ridiculous amounts of money. It was really expensive. Oh, yeah. So I think that's another thing. I think because we have better manufacturing now, it's, it's a lot cheaper. And obviously with Moore's law, everything gets cheaper and faster adopted over time. I think it's, I think it's the next generation of people, really. I think people, my, my kid's age, probably not my age, I'm, I'm 42, but people kind of in their 30s, they are, they've grown up with just new stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think their tolerance for taking risks for new services, even privacy, right? I mean, I grew up in an age where no one knew who I was until I was kind of the internet age. How would you find me? You'd have to read <laughs> a paper article about some random tennis tournament. Right. That's it. But, but now you're freely, people are as very young as like five, six, seven, they're posting videos, they're posting photos. They're much yeah. better at sharing. They're much more open. And I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm just saying it's a different culture. Um, yeah. With that comes risks, obviously, but it comes with it exponentially more benefits in, in my point of view. So I think the, the reason is people will, will just, the 30s and 40s and younger, 
that embrace new tech, that embrace new opportunity, that embrace new things, because that's yeah. what they've always done. The pace of change has been so fast. Now, people might put I mean, my mum and dad just got a smartphone recently, right? They're one of the people who've only just got one. <laughs> um, probably not so much. I mean, maybe if you can show measurable benefits to them, like their healthcare costs will go down or their quality of life will go up, yeah. then maybe they might take that on. Maybe they get reduced health insurance. Uh, maybe there's some benefit that they, they think about, like it's usually going to be money. It's going to be quality of life for the older people. And I'm not saying all people, older people are not going to embrace it, but on average, because they didn't grow up with that constant innovation, they're just probably yeah. not attuned to it on average. Again, I can't talk for everyone, but, but as a kind of, uh, as a kind of average. So I think as the younger people kind of get into their forties and fifties, they'll just be adopting everything that comes out. And I think we're yeah. probably, I don't know, right. But we're probably 10 years away from some real big paradigm shifts in technology, in-body yeah. sensors, holograms, quantum computing, they reckon now in less than, uh, I read an article by Goldman's, they reckon in Goldman Sachs, five to 10 years, quantum computing will become really commercially available. I know you can use it now, but it's only very large academic institutions, NASA, Google, et cetera, IBM. Um, so all of these innovations will start hitting. The cost of computing is coming yeah. down exponentially. The computing power is going up exponentially. I think we're almost at a tipping point within the next, definitely within 20 years, maybe within 10 years of this huge paradigm shift where yeah. technology and humans become inextricably fused in some way. And I, I, don't, I don't mean like we're going to become robots, but <laughs> I think technology will take over more and more and more um, and make our quality of life better, better life extension, better quality of life, better services, <clears throat> better recreations, better products, better jobs, better lives. Um, and it will make things different, sometimes yeah. better, sometimes worse, but very different. But I think we're almost at that tipping point, which is exciting. Yeah, you know, um, something when you're talking about smartphones, I actually still have my iPhone 2 or iPhone 3, believe it yeah. or not. I found it in the drawer uh, recently, uh, and I was like, oh, my God, this seems like ages ago. And, you know, you, you mentioned so much in this last part that I think, really kind of goes back to a lot of things that we talk about on this podcast too. And that is a mindset and really understanding how technology and disruption and innovation is so essential to creating better solutions for not just business, but for us as human beings, you know, to, to give us access to more, whether it's in healthcare or automotive or retail even. And so, you know, people like you, you know, you're, you're leaps and leaps and leaps ahead, you know, because you understand the necessity and you understand that that paradigm you reference is coming and you're going to be ready for that paradigm when most people, you know, are going to have a huge culture shock. It seems like, because you said, I think it's generational and I agree with that. You know, um, I know my parents who are now, you know, in their early 60s, it's like and, I, and I'm 41, so I'm not too much older, you know, from you. But, you know, I think it's very generational, you know, and I think that's going to change. Technology is going to change the way generations operate. And as a result, companies that are starting in those generations are going to have to shift and pivot and new companies that come on. So. I absolutely agree with you is I think in the next 10 years, huge, huge, huge paradigm shift, but people like you and me are going to feel like, yeah, we're, we're, we've been the Jarvis and the Iron Man for a long time. This is what we've been waiting for, you know? So, um, 
Man, I truly enjoyed the conversation. I know we could go on and on about technology and disruption and innovation. And I loved all the nuggets and all the info that you dropped. And uh, before we wrap up this episode, though, throw out some social handles, some websites. How can people connect with you? Uh, how you can help them? Feel free to share that. Yeah, my website is uh, harbot.com, H-A-R-B-O-T-T.com. I love writing, so I write tons and tons of long-form articles around technology. Please come check it out. You can contact me on there. Um, I'm very, very active on LinkedIn. So um, if you go, if you go Arif Harbert on LinkedIn, uh, I'm on Twitter at Harbert. So yeah, just come say hello. I love talking about technology to anyone and everyone. Love writing about technology, love innovating, love working with startups, big businesses alike. Anyone that has a passion to improve their business performance through technology, that really want to disrupt where they want to go and transform for the next generation, perpetuate their business for the next 100, 200 years, give me a call. Very cool. Very cool. Thank you again so much, Arif. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, congratulations on everything that, that you've done. You've had a wild journey. And uh, it was an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Thanks for having me.